Hey, welcome to episode number 13 of Invest in Scale. This is your host, Gabriel Murillo. And today we have Matt Inglo. He's the owner of Tilt Pixel and producer of Freelance Transformation. Over 10 years working in the creative industry and helping membership sites owners grow through online marketing, optimization, and web development. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome, man. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today about a bunch of things related to membership sites. I know you have uh, quite a journey by being a freelancer, then running your own agency to now fully operating and supporting membership sites. So I would love to get started just to kind of get some context on what is it that you guys do? What's your main company? Yeah, absolutely. So my agency is Tilted Pixel and membership is what we specialize in. So the agency has been around for 15 years. It did start, as you kind of alluded to be as me as a freelancer in the basement, basically taking on any clients that we could. But over time, I mean, I've always had a special uh, place in my heart for digital products, for memberships and things like that. And so we always had those types of clients. And then eventually we realized, hey, that's where we deliver the most value for people. And in fact, where we deliver the most value isn't just building them a site. It's actually figuring out how to help them get more members, how to get a greater member lifetime value, greater customer lifetime value, basically help them grow their membership sites. So over the years, we've worked with a lot of amazing membership sites. And we've even seen some go basically from zero and starting up to now making seven figures. And we've been along for the journey and figuring out what works and what doesn't in order to um, create growth. And out of that, we've basically created a playbook of the patterns that we've seen. What actually drives membership site growth? What doesn't? What can you pull in from SaaS? What makes them actually incredibly different than SaaS? And so on and so forth. So I know software, it's the holy grail. Like right, people want right. to ultimately own a software company right now, but membership seems pretty attractive. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very attractive. I think it's some ways, like if you're not trying to build that 15 million or $150 million company, I actually personally, and I'm super biased here, uh, would pick memberships over SaaS. So the amazing thing about memberships, it focuses on how can you create value for an audience using the information that or tools and processes that you have created that you can share with them and package that up and have them want to pay for it over and over. A SaaS is you got to go and you got to build a software product. And my original background is business and computer science. Um, I've got degrees in both and I was writing software back in grade eight. So I know how difficult software is to write and I know how difficult it is um, to grow a SaaS business after you've actually got something that works. I used to own a SaaS business. And basically, if you're not trying to scale it to tremendous lengths, then you're going to put in a ton of work up front. And then you're not getting as rewarded on that work as you would with a membership site. So not to say that SaaS is bad, memberships is good. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I love about the membership site is you don't have that whole complexity of trying to build a software platform where you can spend tons and tons of time and money on software development, building out this product that may or may not end up making it. And that's where I really see if I'm going to go to that effort, I want the SaaS to go super big so that I actually really get that return, uh, not just on the actual development effort, but on the risk that you took 
in doing all of that development. Membership, you can you can get a membership platform. There's a million membership plugins, cloud-based membership sites, and so on. And you can start delivering value to your members. You can start servicing them. And you can get a very rapid feedback loop on whether your idea makes sense or not, whether your audience likes what you're putting down, and you can iterate on that. So yeah, I mean, there, there's just tons to love about membership. Great. And when it comes to the different models inside of a membership site, you may have info products, you may have community-based membership sites, or are there any characteristics of these highly successful clients that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. And that you're you're kind of hitting on the most important thing about a membership site is getting that business model right. Because why would someone pay you ongoingly to access your site? It's because you have to be able to deliver value on a recurring basis. You can't have recurring payments without recurring value. And people miss that. So I have seen sites that were membership sites that actually would have been better off being just a digital course that you pay for once rather than trying to build their members on an ongoing basis. Because then you can sell the course for one big price tag rather than hoping that people renew enough times that you get that same amount of money. And the other way around is I have people, I have seen people with very successful digital products try to convert them into memberships and fail miserably. And that's because you cannot have a simple course and turn that into a recurring business. You got to have something more. And the problem is when people first join your membership site, everything is new and exciting to them, right? They're trying to solve some problem. You're giving them all this content. So for like, let's say the first three to six months, they're getting disproportionate amounts of value from your membership because they're at that beginner's learning curve. Then they kind of start learning things. They kind of start doing them. And suddenly not everything is new. And now they want that next thing. They're now at that intermediate learner stage. And just throwing more content at them does not work. Absolutely not. Doesn't matter if you're trying to become the Netflix of content. You're either going to overwhelm them or you're going to bore them. So now you have to start thinking, okay, what is it that you can deliver as a membership site that goes above and beyond content? And that goes back to your digital or uh, business model question. So one is being able to provide some sort of time-sensitive information, right? Investment sites do that well. Any sites for like stocks and things like that, the financial markets are always changing. So that makes it ripe for some sort of investment newsletter or something of that sort. Those things do very well by the nature of the information being time-sensitive. Another thing that you can do is provide tools that people are going to want to access on an ongoing basis. So some sort of uh, reference library where they can filter down by certain things or some sort of more like even like SaaS type functionality or something that just works on an ongoing basis. Like we have a client that's very successful with a Q&A feature where people can ask questions and other people can view those questions and answers. Any functionality where it's kind of something you're going to use on an ongoing basis. And then as you mentioned, community. Community can be really good. Community can also be hit and miss 
um, because not all members are going to convert to actually participating in that community and getting value. And communities also require a lot of time and effort to moderate them and steer them properly so that more advanced users stick around. One of the things that kills communities is bad advice. So you post something and you've got all of these beginner members that are all commenting in trying to be helpful, which is awesome. But what ends up actually happening is they basically are scaring that intermediate person away because they're just getting a bunch of advice that they already knew or they don't want. So communities can have their own challenges. Something that can work is starting communities that are exclusive to a person at a certain level of knowledge. And that usually comes with a much bigger price tag, which naturally takes beginners away. They're not going to sign up. And you don't need that many intermediate people to make it a good business model. So yeah, I think those those are kind of some of the key things that you can build models around. But the big point I want to get across is that it has to be recurring value if you want a recurring subscription. Otherwise, sell it as a digital product. Sell it as a one-time purchase. There's no shame in that. That's a great business model as well. Yeah, so very, very interesting. I think it's uh, your making me think about like all the potentials and all the downsides about each of those but it's a matter of, of testing as well there's no right or wrong i believe like you're saying it's uh it depends on the niche it depends on the person that are engaging or not engaging when we start looking into churn that it's probably something that you see in in most of these sites no matter if it's a woocommerce or if it's like a javi or whatever the platform once you have a bunch of different variables, it's very difficult to come up with a real churn metric just because it doesn't matter the tool, like it becomes a mess very quickly. So long story short, what I'm thinking it's yeah, like how complex could it be to add some of these things that you're talking about? Like what is the process? Is that something that you guys do with the agency or is that something that you consult and help the client do? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we do. And you hit the nail on the head when you started talking about metrics. That just got me like nodding my head because it's that exact problem. Like any of these services are not going to give you good metrics, and it's no fault of the service. It's the fact that memberships get very complicated very quickly. And it's not just that you have multiple plans. I mean, you can split out churn by different product tiers, at least on some platforms. Again, well, I guess some of them just have reporting problems. But the problem is you have different cohorts. You have different exceptions that completely mess up your churn metrics. And you also don't really have a good idea of how that platform's calculating churn. And there's a good chance they're not calculating it the way you think. So part of what we do, actually, when considering working with a client is the first thing we'll do is we'll do an opportunity analysis. So you can pay us a relatively small amount of money. I'm very small if you're a six and seven figure membership site. And we will actually do all that stuff for you. We'll go and we'll calculate your proper metrics according to our information. And after we basically sanitize your data, make sure we're all looking at the same thing. We'll look at your we'll look at all of your sales pages and your whole funnel. And we'll basically assess that. And you get back two things. You get back all the data we've put together. But even more importantly, you'll get back our impressions and uh, thoughts on where the big levers are for your membership site. And that's something that we're uniquely good at because our background is working with membership sites. So I'm not somebody that owned one membership site, sold it, and then suddenly knows everything about membership sites. I've had, I've, because I, my clients are membership site owners, I've actually been able to see behind the scenes of many membership sites 
work with many membership sites and see those patterns over and over. So the advice that we're able to give is much more broad than what worked for one person at one time, but maybe doesn't translate as well to others. That's what makes our service very valuable. And then from there, I mean, yeah, of course, we help people with implementation. We do other consulting, but our our whole big thing is how do we help you grow your membership site? Yeah, and... (laughs) it's just interesting when you talk about like the things like the metrics and everything because that those are the problems that we've seen as membership site owners either don't have the metrics or worse they're operating off metrics that are completely and utterly wrong what else do you guys help with when you're working with with a client that owns a membership site yeah absolutely so after the opportunity analysis, we can basically help you implement some of the things. Some of the things that you can probably do in-house, and that's totally fine. But then there's certain things that we particularly excel at. So, for example, if there's issues with the sales page, like it's amazing how you can build a successful membership site, and yet your sales page is actually converting pretty poorly. We do see that. And then you can make certain changes such as actually telling people what they get with their membership and then lo and behold suddenly you're making a lot more money member lifetime or yeah customer lifetime value which i think of as a member lifetime value is the same thing is the metric that we care about the most because going back to you're talking about like uh, lack of transparency in metrics, difficulty in uh, calculating me- metrics. The one metric that'll give you clarity on how that membership site is doing and which will most greatly impact its future is member lifetime value. So basically, the uh, more money that comes in from that member over the course of their subscription, the better. Right, because every member is going to effectively cancel eventually. Right, so no revenue is truly recurring forever. So our question is, how long do they stick around, and how much money do they spend with us over the time that they stick around? And most membership sites have huge gaps in that, where there are certain things they could be doing to dramatically increase that member lifetime value. Part of it is member retention. So you were speaking to churn. That's a big one. But another thing is just having smarter pricing structures, smarter tiers. Uh, A lot of membership site owners can probably relate to this is you probably started off with one membership plan. And then somebody told you that tiers are a good idea. So you kind of arbitrarily created the second higher price tier and you offered some extra goodies and bonuses and you kind of arbitrarily gave it a higher price. And I mean, it worked. Like you started making more money. You're basically guaranteed to make more money if you add another tier. But how well does that tier relate to what your audience actually wants? Did you segment your audience? Did you actually say, hey, we need this second tier because we have a segment of audience here that is both willing to pay more and has a unique set of problems? Well, I rarely hear yes to that question, right? So that's where if you can actually restructure your offering so that they make more sense, two beautiful things happen. One is more people convert to the higher price tier, Two, you might be able to actually raise your prices. And actually a third one, and yes, I know I said two, but a third one is that you actually may increase your conversions overall, which sounds crazy. But when your membership offering is structured to speak to the problem that you're solving to your members effectively, then a side effect of that is more people are going to convert. So that's the kind of stuff that we look at. 
right? Is where where are these leverage points where your site could be doing a lot more with the traffic that it's getting, converting it more, keeping people around longer, having people spend more money with you, all of which translates to then, of course, you having more revenue and more profit, but also being able to spend more money on traffic, knowing that you're going to get that money back because your members are worth more. In, in your case, how much of marketing work do you think you guys do versus the technical or the mechanical thing? Because, yeah, with all these marketing gurus out there, they <laughs> think they probably are preaching about these things. But then uh, there's a bunch of other mechanical things in, and and tactical things, right? For us, it's all integrated. So, I mean, we have two types of clients. Clients that already have an implementation team, like have developers or have designers or so on, and want us just for the consulting, in which case it's all strategic consulting. And then we have other clients where we've built their membership site. So we, we've done everything we from, from all the wireframing and design and all the technology and so on. And, and we work with both types of people. But Regardless of how we're working with our clients, for us, the most important thing is, is how can we help you grow your business? So even if you know we're doing technical stuff, some of it might be because the client just wants this or that done. But what I prefer to do is have regular conversations with my clients where we can come up with ideas for, okay, what is that next step in growth for your site? What can you be doing? How can you better the offering? How can you better the conversions? If we're going to redo your sales page, why are we redoing it? How can we improve the messaging? What do we know about your audience? So it always comes back to all of that type of stuff. And that's something that's been a really important evolution for me personally because I did start off as a freelancer just building websites. That's how I paid for that's how I paid for my tuition. It was great, but I realized over and over again that the client really is the wrong person to ask on what should be built. The client has no idea what should be built. You're supposed to be the expert. You're the one that's supposed to guide them. And as the agency evolved over time, that's always kind of been my guiding light is how do we help people actually get a return on investment on their property instead of trying to sell HTML or pixels and Photoshop or something like that. Those are just side effects of making good decisions to grow a business. So what are one of the uh, common mistakes that you see over and over again with these websites? Oh, common mistakes. I, I mean, so many. So, I mean, one we talked about already is just like pricing and like not having your tiers structured correctly. Another thing that gets really interesting is looking at the billing period of your plan. So in other words, like monthly, quarterly versus annual. And this is where I think membership sites are just so different than SaaS. So when you look at SaaS, I mean, typically SaaS companies really focus on that monthly plan. And then they have an annual discount at a standard 20% off for the really good customers that know they're going to hang out for a while. But if you're running a SaaS business, your goal isn't really to try to sign up a new customer to an annual plan. That's awesome when it happens. But realistically, most of them are going to sign up for a monthly plan and when they're first trying out your SaaS, they kind of have very cold feet. They don't know if the SaaS is going to be right for them. They kind of want to try it. And what you're hoping happens is you manage to onboard them and get them using your SaaS enough that they eventually become a loyal customer 
And the more they use your SaaS, the more and more value they start deriving from it. And this touches on something that we talked about earlier, but with membership sites, it's so different. Your members will almost never be as excited about your membership site as they are in day one. Again, because everything is new to them. They're at that amazing, beautiful beginner's learning curve. I, I love the beginner's learning curve. I like picking up a new hobby. It's so much fun because everything you're learning is new. So that's actually when they're most excited to join your membership. They're, they're the most excited to give you money. And when you go and you sign, up, sign them up for a monthly plan that's in total conflict with what's happening, which is that they're getting the most value from your membership site up front. So at that point, you really, really want to push that annual plan because that's really where the money is because they're probably very happy to pay you the two, 300 bucks for access to this giant wealth of knowledge and all of these amazing things that your membership site's going to allow them to do. But six months later especially if you don't do a good job with recurring value, they might not be willing to pay you 10 bucks a month just because they're done with you. They, they, they got tons of value from your content. They got $300. They got $1,000 worth of value from your content. They got $5,000 worth of value from your content, but they paid you six times 20 bucks for it, right? So they didn't pay you very much for it. And what I've seen is over and over in the stats is that holds true. The annual plans are just way more profitable and monthly people are tough to keep past that one-year point. If you haven't passed a one-year point, that means there's a lot of churn issues you don't have. So congratulations. But a lot of sites have those issues. And so a long-term strategy, of course, is reduce that churn too. But yeah, I mean, annual plans win hands down. And I have never seen a site that went annual or, or had an annual plan only went down to a monthly, end up doing well off of it. It's It looks good for maybe the first month or two because you, you get a pop in sales pretty much no matter what you do. But then the reality kind of hits home where those members are churning out, they're less committed to using the service, and then you get panicked because your revenue has just dropped and you kill the experiment. And I've seen that happen over and over. So in my opinion, people pick the wrong billing cycle a lot of the times. If you can convince someone to sign up for your membership for 20 bucks a month, you can probably convince them to sign up for $200 a year. And there's a bunch of reasons why, especially when you couple that with a massive discount. So maybe that annual is a 30 or 40% discount over monthly, but it means you're actually locking in that customer lifetime value at a higher minimum point than monthly. So instead of asking just random question, maybe I give you a case study and then we can play along with that. So I say aside that it's a info product and they've been doing quite well with their numbers and whatnot. And they have a couple thousand subscribers, but they don't have really an active, engaging activation path. Is that something that you will typically help them install or would you say, you definitely will be aware of that. Like, hey, listen, people are buying your membership, but there's no activation. So how do you go about helping them do do that? Because a lot of that is copywriting. A lot of that, it's knowing their marketing. And But I'm curious to see what kind of help do you guys do versus saying, hey, you need to put this in place or... It depends on where they're at. So let's assume they're at least within 
the range of sites that would be able to work with us. So you you got to be able to have a certain amount of revenue before it makes sense to work with us, right? If you're trying to grow a site from $1,000 a month to $2,000 a month, that's awesome. Check out our free material, but that just might not be the right time to work together, right? So that's really important to recognize. But then my answer would be yes. If they've done well enough that they have, let's say, a couple hundred thousand a year, um, in sales, and they have a member retention problem where a member will sign up and then they just won't onboard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're working on a couple of those right now, right? And that's really important. And that actually takes us to kind of another metric we look at, which is how many people don't renew past one billing period. So, regardless of whether they're on a monthly plan or a yearly plan or something like that. Have they renew? Have they been billed more than once, basically, or did they sign up and then cancel at the end of that membership? And that tells us a lot about whether there is an onboarding issue where they're buying that material and for some reason they're not using it. So, I mean, part of it's like like just the regular onboarding stuff, right? Like have onboarding emails and touch points and everything. But some of it, what we find is like the sales page will promise one thing. And then you get into the membership site that it technically delivers those things, but the membership site is not organized in the same way as the sales page, right? So I think I'm getting XYZ and I log in and it might be an amazing membership site, but it starts talking about A, B, and C instead. And I don't know how to get X. I don't know how to get Y. And that's the stuff that got me excited. And it sounds really obvious, but it's actually not. And like I see it over and over where a membership site is just somebody threw up a bunch of content. And because there's a lot of content, that must be good for members. Whereas that's not true. You're going to overwhelm those members, first of all, which is bad because then they're not going to use the site. But second of all, you're going to make them feel like you're you're not delivering on the promises or more likely you'll make them feel like they're inadequate and they don't know how to use your material to get those things you promise. So most of the time people assume the problem is them. It's not your product, right? So you're actually getting less refunds than you probably should be even though you're not delivering on your promises. So we can help with structuring that membership site and organizing that content. We're not going to create the videos for you or whatever it is you're selling. You That's your job. But we can help you with the information hierarchy. We can definitely help you with onboarding emails. We can basically help you make sure that you're making promises to your members that relate to the problems that they have, but then you're also delivering on those promises. And that's how you get happy members. It's cool that you're getting to more psychology and consumer behavior that affects everything else. And this is more of a tactical question. I'm thinking on all the active membership that I like paying, that I feel joy. And most of them, they have, like you're saying, active or new content, not just new content, but something that I cannot replicate by just being, oh, I can just access stuff online. It's kind of like, for example, being part of a DC Dynamic Circle community that it's a bunch of online entrepreneurs as well. And I joined, I don't know, like eight months ago and they build quarterly. It's a membership site, but I've, I've been connected with so many people in the group that now for me to cancel, it's like, no, I mean, it makes no sense. And they have these monthly meetups and I'm like, if I cancel, I'm not able to access that. In that, in that example that, that I'm giving you guys in here, it's, it's not an info product. It's just a forum, right? But yeah, I was curious to see like tactically if 
the example, going back to the example, the case that we we're talking about, membership site has a couple thousand clients, members, it's solid, only have info product, and that's it. There's nothing else. There's only a bunch of videos. And like you're saying, I already see, once you were describing everything, I was like, oh, okay, meaning they get, they're paying for it, they get excited, but then they can be getting like absolutely bored or not even logging in again. And actually that can be measured as well. So the question will be if, if something like weekly hangouts or bi monthly hangouts is added, some sort of community, have you seen any success cases where adding that component of something live, meaning if it's if you're a creator's membership site and twice a week um, or every two weeks, you guys do a live thing where together you guys are going to build something together, right? So it's the live engagement kind of thing. Is that solid enough to add that retention component or have you seen any cases that that may be and may not even be effective? Yeah. So first of all, I'm really glad that you bring up that example and that question because this is so interesting because the problem we have here isn't whether to add a community or hangouts or something. The problem is we're trying to prescribe a tactic without really understanding the problem. So we talked a little bit about communities already. And one of the things we find with communities and over and over is they're only as valuable as their members. So you're finding a lot of value from Dynamite Circle. There's a very good reason for that is it's very specific people that join Dynamite Circle. right? It's not the cheapest thing to join and the people that stick around and hang out are actually involved in these online businesses. And hence, they end up being an extremely valuable networking opportunity. And therefore, you would be crazy to cancel your membership because you're getting so much value. So the reason that's working is the problem that you signed up to have solved is being solved exceedingly well by Dynamite Circle. And that's why you have so many positive things to say about them. So now we go to this kind of arbitrary made-up membership site and we say, well, they got a few thousand members. They're not really retaining them very well. Would adding that type of community do anything? Well, it depends on who those members are and what those problems they are trying to solve. I will say that if it's a beginner forum, like a largely sorry, like it's largely a beginner audience that are trying to solve beginner level problems, I find those communities are very hard to sustain because it's a bunch of beginners asking beginner questions, which is fine, that's awesome, but then they're being answered by a bunch of beginners. And the problem is nobody can really get that expert advice unless it comes from you or unless you hire other instructors or other people to actively participate in that forum so somebody can be the expert. And because those forums are basically just surrounded in beginner-level questions, they never really graduate to the needs of the intermediates and the experts. The intermediates and the experts want their own community. And it's not because they're, they're better than you but they just there's too much there's too much noise versus signal when you post something nuanced and you might get like two replies but then you ask how to post photos on Instagram and 20 people respond right so that's the problem of communities is they get very tricky and you really have to understand your audience so the answer to your question is unfortunately it depends. It's something to examine. But what I would do is I would survey that audience and I would start getting a much better idea of who they are, both in terms of where they are on that learning curve, 
and what they're trying to accomplish by joining that site and what's that problem you're solving. What you'll find on a lot of membership sites is some people join out of interest. Basically, it's a hobby or a passion or something like that. And then there's another uh, smaller group of people that join for more professional reasons where there's more of a business return on investment. So a simple example of that is you want to learn 3D modeling versus you want to learn 3D modeling because you're trying to get a job as a 3D modeler. Right. One person's trying to model like some sort of orc or something. One person's trying to get a job. They're going to value that membership different. They're going to value instructor access different. They're going to have a different set of problems they're trying to solve, even though both of them ostensibly are trying to learn 3D modeling. No, I asked you about your podcast. You recently, this is completely off topic. I know we've been chatting about totally membership. Topic, Meta. That's cool. I love that you launched a new podcast. And it is actually just the, the fact that like you're doing this, I'm pretty sure for the community, I think you were excited to, like you mentioned a bunch of people on your Facebook post. You mentioned a bunch of people that I have no clue who they are, but I'm pretty sure about for your community, it's extremely, extremely relevant. And I think that's one of the beauty about membership site is that for the vast majority of the people outside of those groups, it doesn't have any value, but for the people that are, like, they're very neat. So I, I would love to hear what your podcast and like what made you decide to to do that. The podcast is called Art of a Build, and it's a podcast for makers. And I basically did it to scratch an itch of my own. Is there's lots of maker podcasts, right? So people talking about like projects they build, like woodworking, electronics, and stuff like that. But I hadn't really seen a podcast that goes and interviews someone about a specific project they built. And so that's what I decided to do. And because I, I try to think about these things strategically, I figured, well, the podcast is going to grow a lot faster if I interview people that have big followers on YouTube already and are well-known names. I figured, well, I'll bring those people on the show. I'll have them talk about their projects specifically. And it's kind of fun because, I mean, for the people that are followers of those people, like it's extra insights you wouldn't have gotten from the video. Um, but it's good for me too because it creates a desirable product. Like you want to hear what some of these people that are big makers in the space have to say about this stuff. And because I'm not interviewing them about them, I'm interviewing them about their project. It's actually interesting content to a maker because a lot of a lot of podcasts will interview the person, right? And so they'll be like, "Well, how did you get into making?" And you get the story about how dad bought you your first saw or something, and that's great. I don't mind that kind of content, but it's been done. And if you've heard it once, you're not going to listen to another podcast that interviews that person about that same thing, right? It's like, you're not interviewing me about my childhood or how I started my business. You're interviewing me about membership sites. So it's kind of the same thing. I want to interview them about that project. Now, why did I do it? I mean, your, 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 your answer is as good as mine. I don't know. Like It really is because I'm passionate about making I do like podcasting. I used to have a podcast called Freelance Transformation. I finally hung that up after three years because I got really busy with my agency. And I feel like we said everything there was to say about freelancing. But I needed that creative outlet. So yeah, I, I do it for the community. I mean, I, I spend my own money on it. I, I don't make money. I, I think we make like $8 a month from Patreon right now, which isn't bad for launching a podcast a month ago. But yeah, that's not the big money maker. That's just a creative outlet. Are you planning in the future um, launching or buying your own membership site or is that kind of more three to five years down the road? 
No, yeah, it's nice that you touch on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to own a SaaS. I actually still own it. And I am actively seeking the right membership site. So if someone has one they're selling, I mean, feel free to email Matt at Tilted Pixel and I'd love to know more. But I mean, I do live and breathe this stuff like memberships and digital products and so on. I've had many other ventures in the past somehow tied to these things. So yeah, buying them and applying the same principles that we apply for our clients uh, makes a ton of sense. I mean, I feel like at this point, we basically have a membership site playbook. So you show me a membership site that's at least got product market fit doing, let's say, at least 100K a year. And we, we can basically tell you what's missing. Why is this not growing? Or how could it grow? For, how could it grow faster? What are the big levers? And we can do that thanks to the fact that we've seen those patterns over and over and over again. So obviously, I'm very interested in applying that to my own sites as well. So I think before we wrap up, I'd love to talk about some of that acquisition aspect Like you're saying, you will have your own playbook, but are there some of those things that you can share with the audience? Somebody that is looking to buy a membership site, what are kind of like the, the top three things that you think are the biggest opportunities for when buying a, a membership site? Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, your initial gut feeling would be find a membership site that's doing all this stuff right. But obviously, that's not really what you want to do because the more the owner is already doing well, then the harder it is for you to add more value on top. So if anything, what you're looking to do is you're looking for those sites where uh, there are open opportunities where they're not doing the things as well as they could be. Sort of a weird one, I would say. I just, I had a thought when we were talking earlier. One way you could look at it is look for membership sites that are solving a really valuable problem for people, but which have terrible member retention and turn that, and and assuming it's a good product, right? Like I, I wouldn't buy a poor product unless I could fix it, but assuming it's a good product, but they have terrible member retention because everyone just consumes the content and leaves. What you could do is you could buy that membership site and remove the membership component and just sell it as an info product, as a course, which is a weird suggestion to make when I'm gung-ho about membership sites. But like to me, that's one of those uh, weird opportunities where I think most of the market doesn't see that. You don't buy a membership site with the thought of, how could I make the recurring revenue less? But let's say they're L- like LTV, like lifetime value on a customer, is like only $100 or something or $150 because they churn out so quickly, then my instant thought is like, why couldn't you just package this content up and sell it for $349? And you've just doubled, more than doubled the money you're earning from each customer. So for me, it's always looking like, where are the holes? What are the things that people aren't doing? Uh, Sales page does a poor job of explaining what the product or what the membership does. Well, that's something that's a tractable problem. I know that I can fix that and instantly get more members because my conversion rates are going to go up. I like to look at I like to look for messed up pricing because there's so many opportunities there, poor messaging. Basically, like the site that if the site is succeeding in spite of itself, that's a really good opportunity, quite frankly, because that means that you have such strong product market fit that it's working despite all of the things that it's not doing well. 
And then there's very obvious opportunities to expand that further. Now, that comes, of course, with some caveats. I think there's some traps as well where a site could look good, but it turns out you actually should avoid it. But that's, yeah, that, that's a whole other question. Yeah, there's not there's no recipe for this thing. It's just guidelines. And I think you have done a pretty good job on sharing a lot of these things today. And I appreciate that. So what's the best way to connect with you and for people to find your agency. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, the best way is go to TiltedPixel.com. We have an email newsletter that's sitting in our footer that you can subscribe. We're redoing our site right now, so there's some pages that are messy and so on. But the newsletter will immediately get you like a little mini course on some of the things that we consider important. So whether you're a membership site owner or someone that's looking to acquire a membership site, we're sharing bits pieces of our playbook, including just more detail and some of the things that we talked about today. And then, of course, if you want to reach out personally, Matt, M-A-T-T, at TiltedPixel.com, by far the best way to reach me. Awesome. And any, anything else, any final advice in terms of membership for people looking to acquire a membership site? Any final advice? I think the most important thing always is to think of a business model think of the numbers, strategically analyze your site. I think a lot of that is missing. I think people jump on bandwagons like Facebook ads are hot or Instagram ads are hot or this tactic is hot, this other tactic is hot. And they just assume that as long as you can find an audience and apply that tactic, then you'll magically make money. Whereas a lot of the reality is actually go back to the boring business fundamentals, right? Like the stuff we talked about, like customer lifetime value, like churn, conversion rates, and you look for where are those opportunities, where those numbers for some reason are not what you would expect them to be, and then figure out, okay, why is that? That's the detective work portion. And if you come up with a thesis that makes sense, then you potentially have an opportunity, right? Either to increase the growth of your membership site by fixing that problem, or by buying someone else's membership site and then fixing that problem. Yeah, indeed. Awesome, man. Great stuff. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your sharing with us today. So uh, looking forward to learning more about what you are going to be launching. I'm going to definitely check out the uh, newsletter and appreciate your time, man. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. 